Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. Why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? Yeah, a lot of people wondering that uh, very same question. That is Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. Not mincing words today. We'll play a little bit more of what he said uh, coming up in a bit, but uh, announcing that indeed, as we've been hearing in recent days, the investigation into what was originally billed as an attack on actor Jesse Smollett turns out to be a hoax, a fake hate crime. This was January 29th when Smollett had alleged that he was attacked. You know, like one or two in the morning on a Chicago street by two masked men who allegedly shouted, this is mega country, along with other homophobic and racial slurs, beat him up, poured bleach on him and placed a noose around his neck. It all sounded pretty horrific, if not a little over the top. So as it turns out, this was all orchestrated by Smollett himself, police say. There were self-inflicted scratches that were the injuries. He wrote a $3,500 check to two brothers, paying them to stage the attack. He'd apparently been the one who had sent a threat letter uh, previous to the attack, that this was orchestrated by him and that it was done to promote his career, or that he was unsatisfied with the amount of money he was making on the TV show Empire, which apparently is about $65,000 per episode. So certainly he exploited a lot of different political factors. He exploited a lot of goodwill, but he also created a narrative that maybe a lot of people were too quick to believe. Should there have been more skepticism about these claims in the first place? And what does it mean going forward? I mean, there are legitimate hateful people out there and some of them do awful things. Does it make it less likely now that, that victims of hate crimes are going to be believed? What, what is the lasting damage uh, of this hoax? Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts on all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program, uh, Robbie Suave. He's associate editor at Reason Magazine, Reason.com. Robbie, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. I mean, the purpose of a hoax is to fool people. So how much responsibility or accountability lies with those who were taken in by this hoax? Well, you know, there there are a couple different levels to this. I, you know, I followed the reporting very closely. I sort of suspected it it may well likely be a hoax from the beginning. But, uh, you know, you don't want to deny that something bad happened to someone without some evidence for the denial. Uh, most of the media, I think, reported uh, when they wrote about the story, you know, they said allegedly, purportedly, mm-hmm. which was perfectly responsible. Uh, the problem came more on social media, actually. That's where you saw journalists, politicians, acting, kind of blurring the line between reporting and activism, uh, where you had a lot of just, just blind belief in what he was saying, even though, even though what he alleged was was kind of out there from the beginning. I mean, you would have had to believe this happened at at 2 a.m., that he was spotted by random people or people who actually had must have planned this in advance because they had sent him um, a hateful letter the week before. So they were just hanging outside his residence, hoping he would happen to leave at 2 a.m., which he then did because he needed a sandwich then. I mean, there was a lot that didn't really add up. 
No, and that was the thing, because when we first heard about this, we, we didn't really hear from him publicly uh, in, in the sense that he didn't hold a news conference to, to detail all of this, that, that, you know, it's possible that maybe he was beat up and, you know, maybe some things have been exaggerated or maybe he thinks he heard something that, that wasn't actually said or whatever. I mean, you know, there, there are various elements of the story that, that could have been true and other elements that, that maybe could have been false. That we need to be able to to sort all this out, right? Was he beaten up? Was he actually beaten up by people who did it for a hate crime? Were these things actually said? That that a lot of this was unconfirmed, and and as you say, a lot of people sort of jumped on it like it was all one hundred percent confirmed. Well, I mean, there's just often a rush to judgment, sort of in all these things. I mean, I I, I uh, uh, wrote a lot about the the sort of the Covington case yeah. from a m- month ago, which has some superficial similarities here. Uh, which it was actually a worse example of the media really getting it wrong, really rushing uh, to pass judgment on what happened, even though they, they had a very poor understanding of what happened. And then later, when the additional video emerged, uh, you saw that they all got it really wrong. And now, actually, these one of these kids is suing uh, the Washington Post for $250 million right. for, uh, for their role in, uh, in spreading uh, information about him that was just that was very flawed and very wrong. So that's a cautionary tale. You know, the media, uh, they're supposed to be objective sort of purveyors of truth. And I think a lot of people, particularly a lot of people on the right, who are maybe Trump supporters, um, feel that they are not objective. And in fact, they're very much working against uh, the interests of in middle America or conservative America, whatever you want to call it. And there's a loss of trust that I think is damaging for our society. Yeah, I think that's an important point. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of confirmation bias uh, out there, and, and maybe we all fall into it. You know, on a much le- lesser scale, there was some stories floating around recently about prayer mats being found near near the U.S.-Mexico border, suggesting that maybe there's Islamic extremists sneaking across. It was, there wasn't really a lot of evidence to, to back it up, but a lot of people pounce on it because, well, that, that sounds about right. That's the kind of thing that I think might actually be happening. So there, there's a willingness to believe things if they fit into a certain narrative. I think, as you say, with the Covington case, I think that's an example of it on the left. And, and even for a lot of people here, that this fits into you know, a certain narrative. And it, if it matches your confirmation bias, it's the kind of thing that, that people get taken in by. Well, and we see anecdotes. I mean, this is the way our brains work. We see or hear anecdotes, and we remember them, and then we impugn some kind of trend based on them. I was just reading a story today about a woman who got in the wrong Uber as she was leaving the airport and then thought she was being sex trafficked, and she had narrowly escaped uh, being sold into sex slavery. When, of course, no, she just got in the wrong Uber. And uh, But it feels true because there's a lot of sort of freak out in the media about sex trafficking, although if you look at the statistics, uh, again, this trend is just vastly overinflated it it, it actually but just kidnappings of random people are, are very very rare uh hate crimes which is the, the smollett uh thing was sort of an incident you know, it feels right that sort of hate crimes are really increasing i've looked very carefully at the data and uh, it's actually just really stubbornly hard to tell in fact hate crimes did increase from 2016 to 2017 but that's because the agencies that submit data about the, about these facts, uh, actually a thousand additional police agencies submitted wow. information. So the, the rise could just be because we're counting it better. We might, it might have been undercounting it previously. It's apples to oranges. It doesn't really tell you that hate crime is surging in the wake of sort of Trump's election. Uh, that could be true, but we, the data would appear to show that. It really doesn't. Well, there was a clear... <laughs> 
intent on his part, it would seem, to to drag the Trump factor into this. If he had just said, you know, a couple of people beat me up and they said racist things and they put a noose around my neck, there wouldn't necessarily have been a link. You know, some people might have made the jump, but there wouldn't have been that more overt link uh, between uh, this and, and Trump. So the, to throw in, the, you know, that this is mega country, that's very deliberate. And then that's really trying to play to, to a lot of those those political factors, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's trying to, 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 to uh, meet the expectations of certain people who kind of assume the worst in every, uh, in every situation about Trump and people who support Trump. I mean, it's just very, it's very hard. I mean, it's, it's hard for, you know, me as someone who's, who's a, a, a little bit more independent. I'm, I'm against some Trump things and I, and I'm some, and now and then I support some Trump policies, uh, but everything is so either or. I mean, and there's this, you know, it's Trump versus the media. So every story ends up getting forced into into one side or the other. And and I think that damages kind of kind of independent reporting on the subject because the media is very much the media itself is part of the story. It's it's on the you know, like anti-Trump side, or that's how Trump views it, and that's how many in the media view themselves. So things that are more nuanced and more complicated than that uh, get boxed into this, you know, tribe A or tribe B mentality uh, increasingly kind of in our in our modern political media era uh, where everything is just so it, it has to be all this or all that. And uh, it's uh, it, it it makes it it makes it difficult to have a, a more nuanced perspective and to explore topics that require a, a sort of suspension of, of pro-Trump or anti-Trump bias. Mm-hmm. There is still the question of, uh, you know, how the media handles uh, crimes or you know, allegations of crimes. And as you said earlier, there, there was, you know, there was some hedging on this, that, that this allegedly happened, etc. I mean, even where we're sitting today... I mean, just as small as not being convicted of this, I, I mean, is, is, it, is it reckless to, to state all of it as a fact today that he did all of this, despite, uh, you know, the evidence pointing in that direction? I mean, at what point can we speak with certainty about anything that's alleged to have happened? Sure, right. I mean, I think we, uh, well, and but the court of public opinion and the court are different things. So people can believe what they want you know, independent, uh, you can say, well, I think he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, but media writing about this story, the, the allegedly, purportedly, you know, you're just supposed to report what has literally been said. The police now believe that Smullett did this, and here is the evidence they have, and it's very compelling, and I really can't imagine a scenario at this point where they're wrong. Uh, but that's, that's how you have to handle it. Um, and that's how they should handle it from the start, and I think for the most part did, but... I mean, this was so there were elements of this that were so sketchy from the beginning. And a lot of, you know, I was talking to a lot of journalists, even journalists on the left, privately, who, who thought they were way more skeptical even than I was. They said, there is no way this is true, but I know I can't say anything until, uh, until it's, you know, safe to publicly express that opinion uh, when more of the details yeah. come out. And I, I think that's kind of telling. Yeah. And, and, and should we credit Chicago police or praise Chicago police for not getting caught in any of these traps i mean they, they took the complaint they investigated it uh, objectively the evidence took them in a different direction and, and they didn't shy away from that they seem to have handled this uh relatively well there was some confusion at the beginning about whether he had 
uh, whether Smollett had heard his, his alleged attackers say MAGA country. I actually had a couple exchanges with the police where first they said, no, he never said that. And then they later said, oh, actually, he did say that. So I was annoyed as a, mm-hmm. as a reporter that they gave me uh, false information. But it, it, was an, it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. Uh, but other than that, yes, they've, they've handled this matter pretty well. They, they put a lot of resources toward it. And I think that's going to actually outrage people the most the number of police officers i mean the number of crimes that go unsolved in chicago homicides even yeah. a lot a lot of them go unsolved and they had a lot of police uh working to show that this thing was false as they initially suspected so uh it, it's a gross misuse of police resources and, and that's all on smollett yeah absolutely much more to reason.com robbie thanks so much for joining us here today appreciate your insight mm-hmm. on this my pleasure. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.